Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. The Ops Analytica platform is the premier operations management software suite available today. If you care about running great operations, if you care about empowering your employees and giving them all the tools they need to be successful, if you care about having consistent experiences from location to location, if you care about customer satisfaction, if you care about empowering your above store leaders with actual tools that they can use to to help manage their patches, if you care about winning, if you care about beating the competition, about if you care about being the best, then the Ops Analytica platform is for you. We are going to help you run the most consistent operations you've ever seen. We're going to empower not just ops and QA, but every department at corporate to make their job easier and to make it easier for the location teams. If you are just tired of making people upset over the dumb little things that you can control, we're going to bubble that information up to you, those reoccurring issues, so you can squash them. If you care about being the best and you want to win, then I suggest you check us out at opsanalytica.com and get a demo. We can change your world. Hey there, Order Up podcast listeners. It's Tommy, and I am back with a new episode. I am very excited to welcome Julia Kessler from Nixon Kicks, which is a uh, beverage company here to the podcast. Welcome, Julia. How are you today? I'm really well, Tommy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So uh, Julia usually resides in London. That's where you can hear her accent. But today she's calling us from where? Brazil, everybody. How cool is that? We are getting uh, much more international as we go on. So welcome, Julia. Um, Thank as we you. Went over in the, oh, you're welcome. So what's the weather like in Brazil today? Uh, today, oh, I don't know in Fahrenheit, but it's uh, about 30 degrees. Celsius. It's warm. Yeah, it's nice. Are you, can you see the beach from where you're at? If I lean out of a window, I can. Yes. That's so awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Um, so Julia, here's the deal with the podcast. It's always the same, right? I always ask the same five questions to every uh, guest. Um, and so we're just going to get going here. Um, explain what you do today and then take us through your career progression from your first job in the industry until how you got there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so today I'm, I'm the co-founder of Nixon Cakes. So Nixon Cakes, like you said, is a beverage company. We, uh, we make healthier soft drinks because we don't use any sugar. We don't add anything artificial to the drink. But then we add a little bit of zinc to it. And the zinc comes actually from cayenne, which we add to every single variant. So it's a tiny little bit spicy. And it's, it's really cool. It's very refreshing. It tastes delicious. And we've been going now for, for nearly six years. And yeah, so that is what I do. And um, within Nixon Cakes, I look after sales and operations. And um, and that's been we've been selling now in in the uk but we also sell in in europe so we're selling in holland switzerland various different countries as well as the middle east 
And we're actually um, on the verge to start selling in the US, which is really exciting. Oh, wonderful. So let me ask you this. You said cayenne's in there. Would my kid be able to drink this? Or are they going to be like, ah, it's too spicy? <laughs> it depends. How, how old is your kid? 10 and 8. Oh, no, I'd love it. So my godchild is uh, 8, and she absolutely loves it. And she's been loving it since the age of 4. Um, it's really good. It's a little nice. bit, I, I like to explain it. It's like, it's like a ginger beer minus the sugar. Oh, so it's not like a, it's not like a spicy hot. It's more like a tangy hot, like uh Yes, exactly. Like, a tangy hot. Yeah. Do people use Nixon kits for uh, mixers as well? Like, um, I don't know if you ever heard of the cocktail. It's very popular here in Colorado, the Moscow Mule, which is a ginger beer and vodka. Are they being used a lot as mixers as well? We, we, we know that people do. Yeah, it's also something we actively advertise, but uh, people love to mix it. So we have a cucumber and mint, for example, and that blends extremely well with gin. And then we have a mango and ginger that goes really nicely with dark spiced rum and uh, watermelon hibiscus, which is quite new, that goes really, really well with, with a nice tequila. So yes, they do mix extremely well. But, um, That's awesome. We, we primarily we are a soft drink. Oh, that's cool. So then, is, and so you've been doing mixing kicks for six years. Um, and then, what were you doing before that? Were you always in the beverage industry, or what was your sort of what did you do before that? I actually, um, I, I wasn't in the beverage industry. I actually wasn't even in food and drinks. Uh, right at the beginning of my career, I actually started out in hospitality. So I worked in hotels and restaurants. Um, and then from that, I actually moved into operations. So I worked in big uh, companies like uh, BlackBerry and other mobile phone operators. And my most recent job was actually working for Intuit, um, the company behind TurboTax and QuickBooks. So I, worked, yeah. I was working for them um, in, in supply chain operations. So I was head of supply chain operations for that company in Europe. And, and that was great because that, um, thanks to Intuit, really, I got exposed to small businesses and because that is what they do, right? That is their bread and butter. They do uh, software for small businesses. And, and I was really exposed to that. And that was probably the first time I was really exposed to entrepreneurs. And, and obviously, working for a Silicon Valley company is great because they want entrepreneurialism in all of their employees. Um, Obviously, Eric Ries uh, developed his lean startup principles with the company. And, and yeah, and I was very fortunate that I was exposed quite a lot um, to the process and the methodology. And, and then from that, um, that is how I then eventually left the business. And my, my co-founder, Kerstin, she actually she also had nothing to do in food and drinks. She, uh, she used to work in banking. But then we both sort of decided at the same time, it's time to, to do something completely different. And the driver was really that we, um, we wanted a solution for ourselves because whenever we were going out and we didn't want to drink alcohol, we didn't like any of the options because we were all full of sugar. We were all a bit bland, a bit uh, without taste. And, and there's only so much tonic water you can drink without a gin in it. <laughs> so, so we want to create something which is actually 
tasty and refreshing, but also it's really premium and adult, and we couldn't find any options. So we thought, let's do it ourselves. That's awesome. You have the same career path I have. I was like hotel restaurant, then I did stand-up comedy for 12 years, and then I like worked at a restaurant company, and then I got into technology, and now I own an app. And it's the same thing. Like, well, what makes you think with a hotel restaurant and stand-up comedy background that you would be a app maker? You know, it's like, <laughs> like whatever, dude. It's like entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. Exactly. So, so let exactly. me ask you this question. <laughs> What was the learning curve like going from obviously tech and supply chain into soda manufacturing? Like, did you guys have some major like, oh, I can't believe we did that type moment? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I frankly was having been exposed to software and hardware tech. I I somehow thought that the processes and the diligence um, is going to be the same in food and drinks. And I think the biggest learning for me was that food and drinks, I saw some manufacturing sites where I'm like, I was really shocked when I, when I saw the quality of how I put together product and how clean it was and how much due diligence went into the process. And for me, that was the big learning. Like I, you know, I was I was used to clean rooms where they put together mobile phones, you know, where people wear gloves and and I somehow expected that would be the same in food and drinks and it turns out it's not the case. And I think the other bit which I which for me was a big learning, so we, we started making the, the drinks in our kitchen and we uh, we sort of migrated from that kitchen to a store to then our first sort of small manufacturer and the learning was that what you make at home in your kitchen with a lot of care and diligence it's just not applicable to a big manufacturer <laughs> um and and we uh, we definitely we couldn't scale the same methodology we we did in our kitchen table that was the big learning yeah i mean as much as you want to like you know, it's it's like we have such a love-hate relationship with the most successful brands in the world because like Coke or Pepsi or McDonald's, you go, wow, wow they're just blah. But you got to give them credit in that they got the consistency and the process down that you can get a Coke anywhere in the world and it's always the same, right? And so it is because it's just to do something like you have to give them props to be able to do something on that level of scale with that level of like consumerism and that those sales, it's mind boggling how much goes into it. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like even like carbonation, right? Like, I mean, I am now a semi-carbonation expert, but getting the carbonation level consistent. I mean, I didn't, uh, before I, I started doing this, I didn't even know that there are different levels of carbonation. I just thought it's all the same, but you know, it's the size of a bubbles you want to have in your drink and, and how fizzy you want it to be. And the, uh, depending on how much fizz you put into it, the taste is different. And like all of those things I had no idea about. Well, and let me ask you, so yeah, that, that I never even thought about either. I mean, I know like when you have a soda fountain and like the carbonation is going bad, obviously you can tell the difference, but um, let me ask you this question too. Like you guys are manufacturing in England, I assume, is that where you're manufacturing? So we actually, we have two manufacturing sites just because we like to make things really complicated. Um, so we actually <laughs> have uh, one in the UK and one in Europe. 
So then like the flavors, are you using syrups or are you guys getting like, you have mango, you have mint, you have cucumber, you have blood, uh, the blood oranges. Are you actually getting that, those fruits and vegetables in and then like pressing them to get the juices or are you using syrups? I'm, I'm very curious here. Yeah, so at the beginning we were actually doing that. At the beginning we were pressing all the ingredients ourselves, but consistency is a challenge because obviously every harvest is different, you know, and they, they taste differently as well. So we now use exactly the same methodology any big uh, soda manufacturer uses, which is we make a syrup, um, and that is, you know, we have a really good flavor house we work with, and they make up the syrup, and then we just distribute it to our manufacturing houses, and then they add water carbonation, and that's it. It's really straightforward, and that, that provides the consistency, and that's the only way you can really properly scale up. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, because you're right, like this mango wasn't ripe. That mango was overly ripe. Well, if I mix them together, I'm, where am I at, right? It's not going to give me the flavor that I want. Exactly. Well, cool. So what is the big, pro so question number two, sorry. Uh, what is the big project slash initiative that you're working on right now? So our biggest project we're working on right now is our very, very, very first crowdfund. Um, so we, we've never gone to the crowd for fundraising. We always were very thankful that we uh, have some really amazing angels who gave us money. But this year, for the first time ever, we, we're actually doing a crowdfund. And, and that's really exciting because we, we, always, um, we were always a bit hesitant to, to go to the crowd because um, we always want to make sure that we have sufficient amount of distribution points that people who then, you know, buy a share of Nicks and Cakes and can also support us by going to the stores and, and buy us. And now we are at a tipping point where we're in 7,500 distribution points. And we now feel it's justified that we take that step. Um, but yeah, that's that's very exciting because it's it's happening as we speak. So we're we're going live um, at the end of next week. So then, absolutely, get me the link to that, and I'll put it in the show notes, and so that people can who listen to the podcast if they want to contribute can jump on there. So, what site are you using to do the crowdfunding? I'm very curious about that. Uh, it's a site called Cedars. Okay. So it's, yeah, that, that's I, I'm not familiar. That's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, the thing about this, so they're going to get stock in the company or are they going to get soda coupons or, or are they get, what will they get? It depends on the size of investment. So um, you can invest from as little as, as 10 bucks, but if you invest a substantial amount, you might even get a whole uh, bathtub full of nicks and kicks on top of that. Nice. That's awesome. Congratulations. I'm really, we'll have to do a follow up podcast in like six months and see how that went for you and, and, if, and if it meets your expectations. That's really neat. You know, as an entrepreneur, because I own my own company as well, you know, it's, it's such a double edged sword for going for the funding, you know, but then it's like growing organically is great when you look at your ownership percentage, but then growing organically requires so much patience. Whereas raising money is like, hey, here's a bunch of free money, but it's not really free. And also it changes your job as a, as a, a CEO or a founder to be now on always out raising money, which we haven't done yet, but I always like think about it romantically, but then I never like do it. 
So I'm, but I think the crowdfunding is great because you're not really answering to one guy. You know, you're answering to the mob and they, they just kind of know, hey, we're just investing in to help these guys grow. But it's not like they're going to come and tranche back their money if they don't like your numbers or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it depends on how you, exactly how you said that. Like, it depends on how you want to grow your business. For us, it was always about reaching scale and uh, reaching scale without investment is just uh, near to impossible. It's brutal. It is brutal. Um, okay. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? COVID. Um, COVID and, and uh, all the different types of lockdowns we have experienced, especially in the UK, it's been very, very challenging to plan because um, I, I'm sure that's happening in the States as well. It, it, it happens around the world, but it's, it's just really, really hard to predict what uh, the government will do, how the numbers of cases will go up and down. And we obviously, we, we supply hospitality, we supply on-premise, off-premise, travel, and it's it's been a challenge. It's been one of the biggest challenges I ever had to face. Did you see a major shift from uh, from obviously your restaurant hospitality space because I think it was locked down to grocery and 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 sea um, store, if you will, convenience store. Yeah, so Z-Store is actually a really interesting area because actually we always had it in the strategy that we want to unlock Z-Stores, but Z-Stores in the UK is really, really complex, really, really difficult to unlock um, because it's so fragmented. And But because because of that, because shopper behavior has completely changed and people are shopping more local. So what we've seen in the UK is in the UK, people went from you know having a big, big, a big weekly shop to having one big shop every 10 days. And then what they do is in between, they then top up by going to their local C stores. And, and that is an area which we're now 100% target. And uh, grocery, you know, grocery has been good for us. But then grocery, what happened with us last year, well, actually with everyone, because of the mad rush to grocery stores back in March, they, all the retailers, they have pulled promotions for three months. And um, it's actually incredible when you when you don't have access to promotions how big your how expensive your basket spend is, and um, and guess what premium soft drinks were quite a priority for the consumer, um, so that has recovered a bit. But but yeah, it's been it's been a really tough year. So I'm just excited that you know vaccines are now out and um, hopefully there's a silver lining on the horizon. I know this is so dumb. It, it, it's so frustrating and I totally understand it, but I just, it's so frustrating and it's so hard to watch the industry get just the hospitality industry in particular, just really suffered uh, way more than a lot of other industries. You know what I mean? Like they still sold a ton of iPhones during COVID, but you know what I mean? But for people in our business, uh, creating experiences, like uh, perishable products, things like that, we've really, a lot of people have really, been destroyed by this whole thing it's very sad absolutely absolutely um, what is one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't that's a really good question i think i think one thing which the industry isn't doing right now is unifying um 
any sort of uh, standards. You know, it's really, really hard in food and drinks where, you know, for example, we have a sugar tax in the UK. It's a different sugar tax in Sweden. It's a different one in Denmark. It's going to be a different one in Ireland. Um, same with in in Europe. We have a, I think you have that in the US as well. And US is another great example, right? You have a deposit return scheme on some of the cans in some states, but you don't have it in other states. And then that's the same in Europe. In Europe, you know, each country will have a different scheme. And that makes it incredibly difficult for small businesses like us, because technically we would have to have a bespoke SKU for every single market. And that makes it just really incredibly difficult to navigate and manage working capital and manage cash flow. And I, I just wish they would all communicate together and they just would standardize that and not make it so complicated for trading. So that's the one one thing I really um, I really struggle with. Well, and especially because I mean, in, you know, obviously I'm an American, so like I don't um, like. But I thought that was the whole point of the EU, right? The whole point of the EU was to standardize trading through the EU countries to make it easier for that kind of stuff. But I guess you know, every country it's like in the U.S. Every state's different, right? Michigan will give seven cents back, and New York will do this, but Texas won't do anything. So it's similar. It stinks though that you just can't use a standard barcode because that just jacks your printing, your label printing, or I guess your can printing costs, I should say, yeah. um, through the roof. And exactly. Then, so it's 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 just really it's how it is fragmented in the U.S. is is how it's fragmented globally, and it's just really really difficult to navigate your way around it. And you know, like, and, and some countries have a sugar tax threshold of seven grams, some of five grams, some of three three gram. It's it's just not standardized. And I and I think that is, you know, for big companies like Coke, obviously not an issue, right? Because we have millions and millions to facilitate that. But for smaller companies like us, it's really challenging to get cut through with that limitation. Well, and two, I think with Coke and Pepsi, I think for the most part, in most of the big states, they have a dish, they, they're manufacturing those sodas in each of those states. They might ship them around a little bit, but I have a feeling like, you know, like if you're in Illinois, I bet you they're manufacturing all the Coke in Illinois and Illinois, you know, so they don't have to worry about it as much because then that manufacturing plant prints their own barcode for Illinois and they move on. Um, but I can see where you guys have two manufacturing plants and you're trying to cover the whole world, it gets to be complicated. Exactly, yeah. Okay, well, real quick, last question. Uh, recount the funniest or worst thing that's happened to you in your career. And it could be any part of your career. We just want a war story. But it could definitely <laughs> be next and kicks or it can be, uh, it could be into it as well. <laughs> I think you say, I, I think but <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think Blackberry was definitely up there so so um, when I was working for Blackberry I, I joined Blackberry right at the peak uh, a couple of months later they, uh, they they dropped off and and in that year when I joined there was actually um, uh, the demonstration well there was like um, 
a revolution um, going on in the UK, and and obviously what they what everybody did, they, they were shutting down Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, and they all shut down their services so that those riots had to end. But then a BlackBerry always, um, always, always said we never shut down our service, right? Because our service is uh, encrypted and we, that's not something we would do. But the backslash we got from that was just absolutely insane. And that was the busiest period. I mean, we had large, large, large customers pulling orders left, right and center. And uh, it was an absolute operational nightmare. We, we were in uh, war rooms all the time. <laughs> Uh, trying to to mitigate the the issue and you know the the backslash from the press was horrendous. So, yeah, that was uh, a very very difficult uh, time in my career. I, I literally, I, I think I was with BlackBerry for less than six months, and I had to sort of help out with that issue. And that was very tough. That was very challenging. I, I never even knew that. It, I, I will say it is crazy today how the mob rules the world and how fast everything is moving where if a company makes what like they, the, the, when they did that they were probably thinking hey we're going to keep our service up for our customers because they pay us for the service and then literally it exploded in their faces within days and all of a sudden now you know it's just yep. nuts yeah it is crazy crazy times well we raise the time so yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast did you have fun I had loads of fun, Tommy. I had loads of fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having us. Oh, you're very welcome. And we will have in the show notes links to Nixon Kicks, and we'll also have links to the crowdfunding site for you um, so that uh, all the listeners can go check them out and look for them here in the U.S. as they break into the U.S. market. And thank you guys for being listeners of the Order Up show. And we'll talk to you guys on the next episode.